0: Source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle, Empire! Welcome back to the Blocking Charge Cast. We've had a little bit of time to digest the first half or so of the Big Ten basketball schedule this of course being your semi-regular uh somewhat irregular uh, big 10 basketball podcast uh and i'm going to crack a uh, we don't have a basketball name for our beer of the week but this is going to be grand armory brewing fluffer nutter peanut butter marshmallow stout because oh boy the plot thickens does it not
1: yeah i'll have to uh, Man, I bet we could come up with something good, but we'll, you know what? We'll think about that. We don't want to do something offline here. And look, as far as the sporadicism of the podcast is concerned, you know, in terms of contributors, we're basically working with four scholarship players here, which puts us on equal footing with Boston College's men's team, who are apparently going to go forward in their game against number 20 Florida State. Yeah, them with the fistful of blue chippers. And you know, what would be what would be a reasonable betting line for that game? I haven't even looked. I, there's no way the books are gonna list it, I wouldn't think, but is is twenty-five points is sufficient? I don't think it is. That's crazy. I mean, Florida State's a much better team, even if Boston College is at full strength. And the Boston College coach, whose name escapes me for the moment, came out and he basically he basically said like Ah, uh, Jeff Christian, is that the guy? Yes, uh, something Christian. Last name is Christian. I think you're right about that. But he's but he said administration tells me I have to play. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, he he's got to point the blame somewhere because
0: obviously he wouldn't choose to play. And no, he doesn't want anybody not. to think that he would,
1: that he's the one. Yeah. He can't have Look, you can't have guys thinking that he's the one dragging his players out there. Yeah.
0: So totally fair for him to throw whoever put him up to this under the bus. I mean, this has got to seem like a prank to him at this point.
1: And you know, it's honestly, if there's going to be a season where MSU has to just be as bad as they could plausibly be, it might as well be this one because I, I cannot get interested even in the high profile games like going all the way back to the Big Ten and ACC challenge, I'm I, I'm just sitting there watching. I'm like, God, what does any of this even mean? Because the one thing I wasn't able to find, although I've been looking as I was doing our prep tonight, was I've been trying to find sort of a running counter of how many games have been canceled. Because as of I think as of a couple of weeks ago, the number was over a thousand, and that's at I think that's including Division two and possibly Division three as well, but. That I mean, and there's sure there's a lot more teams that play basketball, more games that are played in general, but still, like,
0: well, we're just a couple a, a week or two removed from from being pretty sure the whole Big Ten was going to shut down.
1: Yeah, and I, like from a fairness perspective, what sense does it make for Michigan State to be off for twenty days? get two practices in and then go back in there against an opponent that hasn't missed a game like that you know it's it's completely unfair and you know? not
0: to mention you're, you're gonna have a situation i have no idea when michigan's gonna play again because they've locked down yeah. the whole campus because right. that that strain of covid for, of coronavirus from uh, the uk has been isolated to cases linked to u of m in washington county and they're not taking any chances they're locking everything down so like w- w- you know if you're a Michigan Hoops fan, you're thinking like, ah, oh, come on, what's the worst it could be? It's only like, how much more <laughs> deadly is this thing? Really? I mean, you, you know, how can you even feel about that? Like, you got to trust that your that your highly respected academic institution can be trusted to when when they say this is a big deal.
1: Yeah, and, it, and looking at it from the sports side, like that's the number four team in the country now.
0: Their first place in the fantastic Big fantastic Ten. Fantastic season.
1: Yeah, by two games. <laughs> But if they, end up, if they end up playing four or five fewer games than the other teams in the conference, I mean, how do you rightfully even crown a conference champion if they only play, like, 14 games and everyone else, all the other teams at the top of the table are playing 20? Like, well,
0: it depends on the brand I equity, doesn't it? I suppose. It depends on who we have to get in the field. Is there any team whose entire existence in the postseason is the whole reason we're playing basketball in the first place?
1: No are they season. safely in the field? No, because it, keep this in mind. If things continue to play out as they are and the season comes to a you know an, an end that looks something like what we've seen so far and the field is the same number of teams, you're gonna have an NCAA tournament without Michigan State, without Duke and without Kentucky. Think about that. <laughs> uh, wow. Yeah. Okay, I mean, not I mean Maryland's
0: also definitely gone.
1: Well, yeah, but I mean, it's not
0: quite as weird, but that's pretty weird,
1: (laughs) I guess. I mean,
0: you know what? It's weird, but it's not unexpected, I guess,
1: right? I mean, in terms of recent success, I don't know if I would quite put them in the same sentence as those other three teams at the risk of some immodesty there, but anyway, we do have some actual basketball to discuss, and as much as I've you know kind of made the ennui pitch here. I have to admit that the Iowa-Illinois game did breathe a little bit of life into my interests for the sport, hence here we are recording and that's going to be our main discussion point in terms of breaking down recent games. (laughs) I've been looking for ways since we started doing this to adequately cover everything that actually happens without it being like a a three-and-a-half-hour episode and without recording twice a week, and it's just not possible. So unless and until I find contributors to do this more regularly – it's just gonna be like we pick a game or two that's interesting to us and talk about that and talk about a couple other big picture things, that's gonna be it. So
0: But objectively speaking, this was the thing that happened in Big Ten basketball last week. Yes. If you only have to also, know one thing, it's this one.
1: Right. For a couple reasons. First being that the conference in their immense wisdom have made this a single play you know a a season after we had two games that were fantastic in the regular season weren't they bracketed up to play each other in the big 10 tournament as well
0: well basically i think they both had to win their first round games which was at this point at that point a certainty they were going to play they were they were the five and the four seeds
1: yeah and in the early rounds of the conference tournament occasionally you get somebody crashing the second or third
0: it wasn't going to be iowa or illinois that lost
1: though yeah it's mostly chalk at that point so we would have seen that and of course you had sauciness in those matchups last year um some beef between players still on both of those teams and so yeah let's only let them play once and let's do it on a friday night um am i right wait am i even right about that or was this game on saturday This
0: game was on Friday night. It was it was the end of a pretty good week. Um, I finally got out to, you know, my job finally made me actually like kind of do something, which, you know, although it's been nice to just kind of work from home a lot, like I actually got to go to the plant and like kind of help something, which was annoying. But it was it felt kind of good to feel like I was actually doing something again, not to mention a week, an entire week as a from last week as a GameStop shareholder. Um, And then I got my Friday night uh, fix and it was a pretty good week.
1: I honestly think the Big Ten makes a mistake by not scheduling more of its big games for Friday nights because look, it the season is January and February. Like nobody is really doing anything on Friday, even in normal conditions.
0: And even if they wanted to like even if we wanted to, I thought I think it didn't it snow a bunch on Friday night.
1: Um we got some snow over the weekend. I don't know if it necessarily would have kept people at home. But yeah. So we're burying the lead here, which is that the game was excellent. The problem is the conference is only scheduled to happen once. I Man, I got to tell you, it, it still feels to me like the conference tournaments are going to be a pretty convenient thing to throw by the wayside, which is too bad. I, I actually appreciate the Big Ten. I know a lot of people seem to place more value on the regular season championship, which you should, because it's a better metric for judging who the champion actually should be. But I've always kind of liked the Big Ten tournament. But it feels like that's probably going to be a thing that they go ahead and cancel this year, sensibly so. And so this is really – this is the only matchup that we got between Iowa and Illinois. It did have a little bit of a spotlight place, again, being the Friday night. Um, your team wins. I assume you enjoyed that. Yeah, that was pretty fun.
0: I mean, I think probably the best thing that's said about Illinois is that, like, Illinois didn't play anywhere near a perfect game. I'm not saying that they sucked, but it's not like – you know, there's there's times when your team wins a game against a uh, highly ranked opponent when they shot their best shot. Um there's other, t- other times when they just, you know, they, they win the game playing well, but, you know, yeah. making a bunch of uh, errors. I mean, at the very end of the game, um, after Iowa finally got some success spamming Hadoukens at us and just, just knocked down a ridiculous three from, like, 30 feet out to bring it to a three-point game, uh, then we got a, uh, a five-second violation. About the shortest five seconds I've ever seen, but still, we had a timeout still. 11.9 seconds. And, yeah, and- that was
1: uh, that was almost a boo booy against Pitt moment from earlier this season. Which somehow, in spite in spite of everything going on with my own team, like maybe because of everything going on with my own team, that's still the lasting image of me so far for this year. For whatever reason, is that you know a, a random terrible game between Northwestern and Pitt at the beginning of the season, and Northwestern had it like should never have lost, but they made so many mistakes. That, it, that that just sticks out in my head for some reason. It's like a cowlick on the quaff of this year. But yeah, so that was Andre Curbello getting whistled for a very quick five seconds, which is a call you really don't see happen very much. I guess because really, if you <laughs> drive into the paint and come to a stop like that, you're never able to hold on to the ball for five full seconds. But, you know, he did in that case, I guess.
0: Well, anyway. Uh, what happened down the stretch was basically that uh, one team star player that well basically what happened down the stretch was that the best player in the country um, did what he had to do to seal the win for his team what else can you say (laughs) yeah (laughs) I just heard them saying and the best player in the country is heading to the bench and I was like wait why are we benching IO wait a minute what Uh, Luka Garza yeah, so. got in foul trouble uh, in a couple of spots, one in the first half. Uh, but the funny thing is, in the second half, he got his third foul very early. And in both of those stretches, it didn't really seem to hurt Iowa that much. Um, we had a lead when he went out, I think, in the second half, and it evaporated and started to turn into an Iowa lead um, with Garza out the whole time. <laughs> so I'm not saying that, I mean, obviously, he's he's an enormous difference maker, but but they were holding up really well with him on the bench.
1: Yeah, but when, here's the thing, and this is again a flashback I have to happier times. Garza still scores 19 points, and so if you just kind of look at the box score or looking at you know the bottom line, ESPN or something, you're like, oh well, he did his part. You know, they had 75 in a five-point game. He almost had, he puts up almost 20. That's less than he usually scores, but still a good night. You have to look a little bit deeper, though, to get the impression of whether the opponent held down a superstar or not. And although Garza got to 19 points, he needed 18 shots to do it. And, like you said, because he's in foul trouble himself, he had more limited minutes. But because he's on the bench so much, he's not out there racking up fouls against Illinois' front court. He only attempted one free throw in the whole game. Um, very different from his norm, obviously. So, there's different ways to corral. A player like that, um, keeping him off the floor is one, but even when he's out there, just making him be inefficient like he it's one thing to let him score 19 points, but there's a difference between scoring 19 on like six for 10 shooting versus nine for 18, which is what he ended up.
0: He's going to be such an interesting player to watch in the NBA because he's a very athletic big man that can shoot threes. I mean, I don't know if I would
1: call him very athletic. I mean, he well, not
0: very athletic for the NBA, but for this level, no,
1: he moved, he moves well, but if you want to call him very athletic, you have to think about, yeah, there's going to be a yeah,
0: Think about what that means. The NBA. Yeah. Uh, that's fair.
1: Yeah. Every team has two or three, you know, six foot, 10, seven foot guys that are a hell of a lot faster than him. Um, his game in the NBA is going to be, you know, does his skill translate? And it, look, the more I watch him, the more I do think that NBA teams would be foolish to pass on him Um you think about some of the guys in the NBA, like, would you describe, for example, Luka Doncic or Nikola Jokic as an incredible athlete? No, no, but skill does still matter. And in fact, it almost kind of feels like when you have these hyper skilled guys that because there's a little bit of a different style they play than your hyper athletic guys, you know, who get drafted in the lottery for no reason other than they are big and springy and have long arms. Um, Myers Leonard, it was, right it feels like there's kind of a, a different dynamic that guys like that bring and they can still have success even if they're not quite as fast or jumpy
0: what you're saying is that Luca Garza's got him some mean ass dad game
1: it Kind yeah kind of I and in very in a positive way I don't mean that as a as a derogatory term at all yeah
0: oh my but, god Did you, do you remember Joel Embiid's tweet about how he uh I think it was a tweet about how he how he figured out three-point shooting Or he, yeah, he said it was. uh, He 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 just went on YouTube and searched white guys shooting three pointers, and (laughs) because he was talking about yeah, y'all know the guy I'm talking about at the gym. Like you know, it's like a, a 30 year old white guy that pretty much does nothing but get open and take threes. That elbow is tucked, man. (laughs) That's pure form. You know this guy's a problem. You know who I'm talking about. So I just looked up videos of this kind of person shooting threes, and uh, that's that's what I attribute my gains to.
1: Yeah. And sorry, to to kind of wrap up our thoughts on this game. This yeah, as you said, I don't think this was a case of either team playing their A plus game, but it's not like either of them really was that bad either. I mean, although Garza had kind of an inefficient shooting night, as a team, I always shot 40% from three. Um, did not again did not have nearly the volume of free throw attempts that they nearly that they usually do. But that's it's really mostly Garza who's carrying the water and drawing fouls for Iowa anyway. Like there are other guards: Wieskamp, Camp, Bohannon, um, McCaffrey, Frederick was out. That's also something that I think would have impacted the game. But none of Iowa's other guys are other than I guess Keegan Murray to an extent are really guys that draw a lot of fouls. And so shooting forty percent from three was. Effect is effective enough, but maybe, I mean, honestly, they might have been better off having a little bit more in the way of volume from deep. So,
0: yeah, I was actually surprised because they, they, they usually do just spam heat checks and they, they weren't doing that as much.
1: Not as much. Everybody
0: as, loves that fighting game dude that spams projectiles.
1: Yeah, that's your favorite guy to watch. Uh, <laughs> I did think Illinois got an interesting kind of unexpected in my view a contribution from grandison who i know you talked up a little bit in our season preview as a transfer guy who could have something of an impact but i hadn't really seen him play much this season is he has he worked his way into the starting lineup yeah
0: he's he's starting idea. and there's not really anything he does spectacularly but he's like i don't know he's just about a perfect role player and he he came up he, like illinois won some games some you know some games recently where he's kind of provided a spark when uh, especially when Kofi's not been on the floor um, not that he does any of the same things but he's been there with the spark I mean he can shoot from outside he can you know he's got um, he's a pretty decent defender he can block shots he actually he got teed up uh, last week for saying get that shit out of (laughs) here blocking I think (laughs) Penn State which like man I can't believe they actually teed him up for that I mean, yeah, well, frankly, I it, it's, it's physically impossible to block a shot and not say, you shit out of here.
1: Right, it's it's an involuntary reaction. It's kind of like being punched in the solar plexus and not punching over. Like, it's just something that happens to you whether you intend it to happen or not. So, <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, all over, this was, this was, again, a game that we circled from the beginning of the season as being one of the things to look forward to over the course of the year. I certainly think it lived up to that. Uh, what was interesting,
0: I mean, I, it wasn't quite as chippy as I thought that it might be, but what was interesting was on the on the last play um, uh, or one of the last possessions, uh, Nunji passing up an opportunity for the offensive rebound by just blocking Demonte Williams through the end zone. I think it was yeah. Demonte Williams.
1: Well, and so you you mentioned that my recollection of last year's beef on the court was that Frederick and Demonte Williams were the first were the primary two guys involved, right? Yeah. Well, Frederick didn't play and Williams, if I remember the box score was in there for like 12 or 14 minutes or something. So there you have it. The <laughs> Primary antagonists are not factors and... I also kind of wonder if there's just a different perspective on the season for the players. I think there has to be.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, let's consider that it was a sold out state farm center. It was deafening. And now what you have is a situation where apparently, according to reports, Penn State has the loudest home atmosphere in the Big Ten because they pump their crowd noise in the loudest. You you can tell things are fucked up when the mausoleum is the loudest place to play.
1: Yeah, oh, boy. Um, all right. And so speaking of fucked up, let's let's go ahead and discuss my team for a while, because, uh, I, again, at the risk of some immodesty, I think there's an open debate depending on where you stand on whether the bigger story is how good Michigan is or how bad Michigan State is. I think it's fair to say Michigan has overperformed what even their fans probably thought their ceiling was, but I don't think anybody imagined MSU being this bad. Uh, we covered, we, we mentioned COVID earlier that they just got off this past week of, of basically a three week layoff between games. And it's not like the games are canceled. So they're, you know, running practice two days. No, they got two practices in before they had to go. And then of course they lose to Rutgers by 30. I would expect them to be rusty. But the, the thing is, you can't really put all of it on that because they had problems before that, that they just didn't find answers for. I, at the risk of oversimplifying things, because there's definitely more to it than this. Well, I guess the last thing I should say about COVID, something that I learned during the broadcast yesterday was that 13 of MSU's 15 players have tested positive. I'd never heard that before. They confirmed a handful of guys like Gabe Brown, was still unavailable because he's still in the recovery period from it. And they had mentioned Josh Langford had it and Steven Izzo and Mati Sissoko. And then we knew Izzo had had it in the off season, but they hadn't confirmed anybody else. And then they just kind of dropped that casual line during the broadcast. Oh yeah. Basically the whole team's had it. So, I, you know, there's no telling who among them, I guess is still suffering from symptoms. We know it to It different people react to it differently. I guess there's no telling, but it's there. There were still problems here that cannot be blamed on COVID that I think are basically threefold. First is that they don't know who their point guard is still in February. Uh, they, Earlier, I mean, probably about a week or two before the layoff started, they had moved to AJ Hogard. And although he certainly had his moments, it looked like he was going to be a struggle for him. But again, a freshman point guard, Izzo runs lots of sets in a pretty complicated offensive system. That was to be expected. But then apparently he's now back in the freshman dungeon because he played five minutes yesterday. <laughs> they go back to Rocket Watts. They're now playing again Division two level athlete Foster Lawyer for twenty plus minutes a game with the results you would expect second big thing their interior play has been absolutely awful on both ends um which is probably the biggest departure from the norm i mean they've had they've had rough offensive se- like games stretches seasons before but even if even if they're shooting badly even if they turn it over a lot they've always had something to fall back on and that they've been consistent on the boards and they play interior defense as well as anyone in the country this year they're kind of average on the boards which is an advantage they've counted on and they're terrible inside both offensively and defensively they do not have a post threat on offense at least in terms of making their own bucket they have some guys who can finish and then defensively they can't stop anybody uh, so many opposing big men have gone out there looking like Patrick Ewing or Shaq in his prime, you know, name your dominant post player against this front court. If, you know, in the off season, it was pretty well commented on that. Yeah, they're going to miss Cassius Winston and also Xavier Tillman will miss him too. Dude, they miss Tillman way more than they miss Cassius Winston, which I never would have thought would be the case. So they don't really seem to have an option there either. I mean, all the options have, some kind of flaw thomas kithier is physically overwhelmed by basically every opposing starting big he sees. marcus bingham has flashes where he's defensively brilliant but Izzo barely plays him he either makes a mistake that Izzo benches him for or he gets in foul trouble and julius marble has the physical traits but on offense he has no idea what's going on. he just doesn't um So that's what you have for those. And then Mati Sissoko is, again, physically as imposing as anyone I've ever seen wearing MSU's jersey, but he he, even more unrefined than Marble was. So none of their options are really all that good up front. And then the third one, this is a very complicated X's and O's kind of deep dive we're going to do here. So I hope I don't lose anybody. Um, They are, let me consult my notes here, bad at shooting, which I'm told is important to the game of basketball thumb. Can you confirm is shooting important to basketball?
0: Well, I mean, it depends on what you mean by shooting. If you're talking about the act of propelling the ball into the hoop, then yeah, that's something that's been a very important component of most Big Ten title teams in my lifetime anyway. Uh, That's generally one of the more, it's one of the things that a lot of people don't think about when you talk about putting together a good basketball team, but But really, if you kind of crunch the numbers and and look at things, it actually does make a lot more of a difference than people think when you can actually put the ball into the hoop from the floor.
1: Yeah. And so, again, thinking back to preseason discussions for this team, because there was no doubt they were going to look different without Winston and Tillman, kind of their one and two B options, I guess. Um, Tillman wasn't necessarily an offensive focal point, but he was important. MSU's success this year was really going to rely around three guys more than anyone else. Rocket Watts, Aaron Henry, Joey Hauser. Um, Watts and Henry were kind of complimentary guys last year. Hauser was sitting out the transfer. And then somebody who has stepped back into a larger role, but who sort of got overlooked in the offseason is Josh Langford. Um, Great story that he's been able to come back and play. But those four guys were going to carry the large majority of the water offensively for MSU. The other guys are either too young or just really not cut out to be offensive lead guys so let's take a look at how that's going and for the time being we're just going to talk about being a threat from three because the thing about those players is none of them really is a threat to attack the basket i mean rocket watts can drive somewhat but instead of trying to finish aggressively and draw contact what he prefers to do is pull up for all kinds of awkward leaners and running shots which he makes more than most people, but it's still a terribly inefficient shot. Because Yeah,
0: he makes them more than most people do, but he probably doesn't make as many of those as he makes shots with a stable base.
1: No, yeah, it, he do, it's still a less efficient shot than if he pulled up from both feet. And it's still a shot where if you miss, there's no chance of drawing a foul because guys will let you have that shot. That's the shot every coach from middle school up is teaching their defense to let the opponent have, is the mid-range too. So... Anyway, that's a whole other thing that kind of makes me tear my hair out about him, but that's just kind of who he is. So let's just talk about percentages from three. Keeping in mind, these four guys take the large majority of MSU's shots overall. I could probably, I mean, I would guess they take more than two thirds of the team's shot, those four guys. Joey Hauser is shooting 33.9% from three. Josh Wankford 33.3. Rocket Watts, 28.3. And Aaron Henry is shooting 20.9%. Barely more than one in five of his three-point attempts go in, and again, those guys take huge majority of MSU's shots, and none of them draw very many fouls. So they're shooting terribly. It's not like and it's again. I would bet that their percentages from two are not much higher for Henry. Maybe because he does have a variety of creative little mid-range moves he uses to get himself looks kind of close in. I would bet his two-point percentage is considerably higher, but the rest of them probably not. So none of these guys shoot well from deep. None of them are really driving to draw free throws. Um, There's nobody else on the bench who draws a lot of fouls. Again, the big guys are not really scoring threats on their own. So where do the points come from? That's kind of the question that has yet to be answered. I'm sorry. So Michigan State,
0: basically you mentioned at the beginning of this, about 20 years of of having pretty good things to say. (laughs) Well, here's what Michigan State is, as far as I'm concerned is is they're they the 2009 national title away from being literally the Packers. They had they had the one in the late 90s and the one about 2010 or so, and then like it, it's it's been you'd you'd think it's been frustrating because they always lose late in the playoffs, but it's also like yeah, but they're been also there so much yeah. How yeah, dare you complain? Yeah, they're, and they're also like you know reliably crushing the hopes and dreams of their regional rivals.
1: Yeah, there's that too. and
0: But in, in the whole course of that, though, when it happens where suddenly you're terrible, well, the Packers did this a uh, couple of years ago when they had Rodgers for a full season and went like six and 10. And like, oh, they're suddenly terrible. And it's funny to everybody. And it's also funny to me too. Like, I, what else could I do but laugh? Like, why is
1: it like this? Yeah, I, again, I think, so first of all, there was a, Izzo made a gamble that just didn't pay off. He thought that he could make Rocket Watts a full-time point guard, and that just didn't work. He doesn't really have a better option now, so it looks like they're going to go back to that and see if it improves somewhat, but that was a gamble he made that absolutely didn't work. I wonder, and I'll never know, but I wonder if he might have thought that Xavier Tillman was going to come back, because if Tillman was on this team, they would be vastly better. There's no question about that. But again, like... The guy had two kids, right? <laughs> By the time he left, he had, I think, a three-year-old and a new baby boy. Like, he's done make some money. And his defense was so good in the modern NBA. That's valuable. like, And not just individual on ball defense, but the fact that he so elevated and orchestrated the level of their team defense. That was the kind of thing that was going to get the attention of a team, even in the second round. I and mean, hes pro- I would venture a guess that he's probably having a bigger impact in his rookie year so far than any other second round pick for sure and a fair number of the first rounders too. Um, he's going to be, he's another guy that I think guys are going to look at in the same way they look at Draymond Green in a few years. Like how the hell did he ever fall out of the first round? Um, I wonder if Izzo thought he was going to have him because it sure does not look like any of these other guys are ready to go in nearly the same capacity. I, you know, Kithy or Marble, um, Bingham, none of those guys look anywhere close to ready. So I think there may be a couple of miscalculations Izzo made and that's how we got here. But, it really is just coming down to the fact that these guys that they're counting on offensively are not putting the ball in the bucket. It's as easy as that. Um, so let's, let's just look at a case study here. Because when I was putting all this together, I was like, this is easy for, me, easy for me to say, but what does this actually look like in practice? So we're here on Monday night. We'll talk about now. Yesterday's game, a gentleman's blowout at the hands of Ohio State. <coughs> first point that I thought was a weakness, point guard play. How did that turn out? Well, MSU's point guards managed a total of three assists between Watts, Lawyer, and Hogard, and they committed three turnovers. So that's kind of not the assist to turnover ratio that you want to see. And they scored nine points between the three of them. Suboptimal. Let's talk about interior defense. Um, Ohio State's primary two forward scoring options, EJ Liddell, the postman, and Justice Sewing, who's more of a wing slasher type, they combined for 37 points. 15 rebounds, and 19 free throw attempts. A big reason why MSU's interior defense is so bad, none of their guys can stay out there long enough to get in a rhythm because they all, most of them commit fouls at an astronomical rate, kithier especially. Um, so that doesn't help when you give your opponent 19 looks at the charity stripe. And then let's talk about deep shooting. Uh, they combine to go 5 for 24 from deep, which translates to 20.8%. The four guys I mentioned, Henry, Hauser, Watson, Langford, they combined to go four for 21 from deep. So that's about all there is to it. I mean, looking at OSU stats, they didn't do anything exceptionally well. They kind of played the way they usually do, which is they're just a very well-rounded team. They have their score, <clears throat> excuse me, their scoring leaders, Liddell and Sewing and Dwayne Washington, but none of those guys absolutely lit it up. I mean, they got 20 from Liddell, I think 17 from Suing, and like 18 or something from Washington. So those guys all showed up, and those are leading scorers. But it's not like them went off. It's not like they crushed MSU on the boards. They had a plus-one advantage there. They didn't shoot the lights out from three. They they just put the ball in the hoop. That's really all this game is when it comes down to it, putting the ball in the hoop. So even though it didn't feel like MSU was outclassed, because you look and, you know, they force a couple turnovers too. They're not giving up just – 10-0 10 nothing runs and stuff like that. But at the end of the game, they're down 17 points. It's like, yeah, that's about right. So thanks, everyone, for joining my TED Talk. 2020 couldn't help but take the one positive sports experience I have left in my life away from me. So that's just fantastic. But everyone out there will be happy to know I've already pivoted to the next big thing. We're on to garden planning now. It's February, which means probably only, what, three months until we can go outside again. So it's going to be a big spring. Wait, where are you going? I mean, I'm
0: going to the stonk market. Uh-huh.
1: Aha, <laughs> that's right. You have actually become a rather sophisticated private trader in the course of the last few months.
0: Well, nobody's sophisticated anymore because at this point, it's just about waiting for all of the uh, oh my god, everything is a short squeeze uh, hype <laughs> to blow over. So I'm basically I'm planning on doing that. Just kind of sit in cash for a while, and then then I can actually trade on all of the shit that I learned, as opposed to oh my god. Everything is short squeeze.
1: (laughs) And speaking of stonks up, we'll now give kind of our halfway assessment, because we're right around halfway in the schedule here, we'll give our assessment of the all Big Ten teams and various other awards as we see them currently. Um, I think we can, let's start with the two points that I think we're going to agree on, which is that Hunter Dickinson is going to be the runaway freshman of the year. Really the only competition for him, I think, would be Keegan Murray from Iowa and He's uh, like a, a multi-year player, but Dick, it's Dickinson by a mile, as far as well, that's right. Well, here's
0: here's what I want to talk about right now: the Wooden Award top twenty just came out. Don't know how many players are from the Big Ten on this list of twenty. Um, I'm gonna guess seven. Seven, exactly seven. Yeah. Hey, look at that: Marcus uh, Carr, uh, Kofi car. Coburn, Io yeah. Dasunmu, Hunter yeah. Dickinson. Yeah. Luca Garza. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Ron
1: Harper Jr., Trace Jackson Davis. Trace Jackson Davis. Yeah, I'm surprised Livers didn't make it. He because so I guess it's a good pivot moment then to talk about our all conference teams. We'll we'll just do one. I mean, I think first team. There's a few that are pretty straightforward. I think it, I think it's I.O. I think it's Marcus Carr. I would put Livers on the first team. Trace Jackson Davis and Garza. Um, I'm sure you want to put Coburn on there. Tell me who you're kicking off. I mean, head-to-head, we'll get to see it again tomorrow, but
0: uh, Kofi did pretty well against Trace Jackson Davis, so, you know, ask me uh, tomorrow
1: night. Yeah, all right. I get
0: to go play again.
1: Uh, And then in in terms of coach of the year, it's certainly got to be Juwan Howard, again, probably in a runaway, because, again, who realistically predicted Michigan as being the best team in the conference by a couple games at this point? And whether that holds up, whether they can sustain it when they come back, Who knows? But even if they don't, keep in mind, they're a top five team in February. So he's got to be the coach of the year. I don't think that's even close.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's. (laughs) what else am I going to say? Am I going to say, I mean, the only other thing I could possibly say is maybe Holtman based on how hot Ohio State is, but um, they were expected to be better than Michigan was.
1: Yes, that's true. And even towards the tail end of last year, they again, they had a very disappointing conference year last year for well-documented reasons. But even towards the end of last year, there was a sense that, no, this is coming together. Everything is going to be fine. Um, Okay, so... And and
0: it's kind of a similar thing. Hmm. Like, Brad Underwood has... I mean, Brad Underwood has... uh, You know, there's really not uh, an argument that he hasn't done a pretty good job at Illinois so far. But his first two years were way under par expectations. And then things exploded last year, but it was kind of expected given the talent and the upside they showed. So, like he kind of couldn't really be coach of the year because it wasn't a hundred percent unexpected, even though he did it, you know, like he put that, he put all that stuff together, but right. in the same, yeah. in a similar vein to, to Holtman, like, yeah, he put that team together, but also why wasn't that team better last year?
1: Yeah. And we've, we always say, and I don't think this is an original or, you know, <laughs> opposed take that the coach of the year award is so much about expectations. Right. And
0: expectations right at the beginning of the season too.
1: Yeah. And so keep in mind, when we were talking about the front runners in the conference, it was Wisconsin, Iowa, Illinois. Like those were the three everyone thought were going to be up there. I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe Michigan State's there, maybe Ohio State's there. Um, but those were the consensus three that everyone thought were going to be ahead of the pack. So that kind of renders their coaches, I think, basically ineligible unless you were to run the table in conference play or something. Then I think you would obviously get a look. Well, certainly
0: you don't get a look if you lose a staring contest with Mark Turgeon.
1: No, no, and you know, which is something you should never get into because I'm not convinced that Turgeon blinks. Um, he yeah, have,
0: I don't think that that's a thing that his that his motor system does on its own.
1: Does have certain resemblances to a terrapin now that I think about it, in ways beyond just coaching. Yeah, that's that's an interesting thought. But anyway, we spoke of running table earlier, so we're going to conclude by looking forward to a few games that I think would be worth the while, worth the watch and we would encourage our listeners to check these out as well. Starting this week on February 4th, Ohio State at Iowa. Both top 10 teams at the moment. I don't think Iowa fell out of the top 10 because of that loss. to nope, number eight. Yeah, so I think that's going to be seven versus eight then. Probably a top game of the week in the country, I would think. That'll be an interesting look because, again, like I mentioned with Ohio State, they have their lead scorers, sure, but it's not like they have any one glaring – weakness or thing that they rely on that you can take away from them. Like they've got lots of different ways to beat you. Whereas we saw with Iowa against Illinois, if you can corral Garza, make him inefficient, then that takes that, especially if a one-on-one defender, that puts less pressure on the rest of your defense, to consider leaving shooters. And that's how Iowa kills you is Garza scores and scores draws enough attention that you have to leave somebody else open. And he's good at finding those guys. So the question is, does Ohio State have somebody capable of guarding Garza one-on-one? I kind of don't think so. I mean, they've been running with – they've got Liddell, they've Kyle Young up front, and they can throw the freshman Zed Key at him, who I think has been better than expected, but nobody's going to mistake him for Hunter Dickinson in terms of a freshman big making an impact. So I would look for Garza to have a more impactful game here, probably is, more. Is that
0: something that Canadians have on their computer next to the X key? It's the Z Key.
1: It man, their uh their all name team has presence has really rebounded at Ohio State. They've got Zed Key, Michi Johnson. Um I mean, I mean Justice Suing, come on. Yeah, and Justice Suing, right? So the all-American in terms of that. So very strong effort by Holtman there. Anyway, that's coming up this week, this weekend. Wisconsin at Illinois. Um, and then hey, a little bit of an undercard, in Nebraska at Michigan State. Maybe we can win a game because we're gonna get murdered by Iowa tomorrow. Um well, how are you looking forward to the matchup with Wisconsin?
0: Oh, yeah. We finally, finally proved that it was possible <sighs> for Illinois to beat Wisconsin. Uh, I, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before that we broke that streak of not beating them since 2011 or 2010. Uh, it was about 16 games in a row. Uh, I, I think that was
1: we, Yeah, I think that was just last year.
0: Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So that was that was I mean, I guess there's one of my last ties to to my college days was that we still hadn't beaten Wisconsin since then. <laughs> um, so, Hey man, 2019. Well, yeah, I actually remember, um, I, and I think that we beat them before I went to that, uh, Packers game, the playoff game, because, uh, my, my friend Derek also went to Illinois, uh, was there with me and we, we just, you know, we we're t- hearing people in front of us talking about game and then talking about, but how in the hell did Wisconsin lose to Illinois? <laughs> and then said, wait a minute, they also lost to them in basketball. How in the hell? That was really fun. Anyway,
1: um, I noticed Wisconsin. you had here. Well, yeah, have... before we get into that, though, Wisconsin's in the middle of kind of an interesting stretch in their schedule. Um, they're about, again, also tomorrow, they're going to play the second of back-to-back games against Penn State because of a scheduling quirk and moving some stuff around. Yeah. Um, and that they lost to Penn State by 10, again, in what's apparently the toughest place to play in this year <laughs> um, at the Bryce Jordan Mausoleum. And they've, had, they've struggled a little bit recently. The last couple of games before that against really against the better opponents, they got roughed up by Michigan. They lost to Ohio State. Um, they've had a little bit of a skid here after you know opening the season in spite of a two-point loss to Marquette. They ripped off a series of wins in which they looked – I mean, that Louisville game is something I'm going to wonder about for a long time. Like, how did they end up being that much better than a pretty good team? So they're in the middle of a very strange stretch in their schedule here. Um, and after the game at Illinois, they down the stretch, they still have two more games. They have both games with Iowa still. They still play Michigan. They still go to Purdue in, in addition to a rematch with Illinois. So their schedule down the stretch is going to get brutal. Well, here's
0: another thing I think is interesting about some of the other games you have listed coming up here. Have you looked at the Big Ten standings like in the last few minutes?
1: I'm looking at them right now.
0: Oh, damn it. I was going to ask you about how there's five teams hovering within a half game of each other for second place. Yeah, and how five of them are ones you would expect: Illinois, Ohio State, Iowa, Wisconsin, and the other one's Purdue.
1: Yeah, you you still don't think of Purdue as being in that echelon of the conference this year, but no. In spite of in spite of dropping a few games early, I mean, so their problem was in January they dropped three out of four in a stretch, and this is where so they had a stretch in their schedule where they had to go to Iowa, then they played Maryland at home, they won that, then they go to Rutgers, and go to Illinois. Like that's the kind of stretch. That I felt like I talked about with every schedule we previewed in the offseason, it's just like, man, every team in the conference has a couple of weeks where you're just going to get hammered, uh, where the schedule is unbelievable. But and they, that's just
0: life I mean, in the Big Ten.
1: Yeah, and then but then they came out of that, and they've won five of the last six. Again, the one loss in there was a pretty bad beating at the hands of Michigan, which – again, if if there was much more to say about them other than the fact that they've been dominant in nearly every game, Michigan wins. They're not winning games by a basket or two. I mean, it's like 15, 17, 19-point wins almost every time they go out there. It's just yeah, and, um, it's disgusting, but you know, that happens. And then the other thing is Purdue's non-conference
0: included a, a loss to, you know, an 11-point loss to Clemson, who's 10th in the Big Ten, and then a loss at Miami who would be last if not for how few games Boston College has played. Miami's 2-9 and, two and nine in ACC play. Yeah, and
1: Purdue had like a 20-point lead in that game. They blew a huge lead to lose that.
0: <laughs> so very, very unimpressive non-conference showing by Purdue. Kind of, you know, if, if you hadn't been paying attention to the Bigs' 10 standings, you'd probably be surprised to see them on equal footing with those other teams.
1: Yeah, you would because everyone. I mean, I think most people know about Trevion Williams and how good he is. But they've been without Sasha Stefanovic for I think two games. I don't. I don't know if he was able to play against Ohio State or not. But he didn't play against Michigan. Um, I think he was still out against Minnesota too. But Travion it, Williams is shooting over fifty percent from the field. Yeah, which to be expected given the shots that he takes. And keep in mind he did also play Michigan State's front court already, so that's going to help your percentages. Uh, but they've been getting contributions. I mean, this game where they came back, so <laughs> this game against Minnesota, they were down by 14 at one point and they ended up winning by 19. <laughs> so that's a little bit of a swing. Um, and it's just, again, like the Miami game in the other direction, like they're capable of these big swings and these unbelievable hot streaks where they look unbeatable. And then there are other stretches where anybody can take them down. It's, it's just a strange sort of feature of that program recently.
0: Well, yeah, they're a a year removed from getting held to like 37 by Illinois. And then like, I think going to Michigan State and holding them to the 30s.
1: No, that was at Mackey, the the Michigan State game. Oh, okay. uh, Okay. But but, still, that that was a very good Michigan State team. Yeah. It was like a 30 point blowout to this Purdue team that finished like 10th in the conference or something. I'm like, what the? I talked about it the rest of the year. I was like, I could not figure out what happened in that game. Still can't. Uh,
0: Yeah. So that's, it's nothing new with this Purdue team as far as just, you know, very large chunks of results that, Um, You kind of have to evaluate them on the entire, just treat the entire year as a game.
1: Yep. And that's game one of a triple header that, again, the conference in its vast wisdom has put on a Thursday night, that being the 11th, we've got Purdue, Minnesota, and then Wisconsin going to Nebraska and then Illinois at Michigan, assuming that they're able to play at that time. I guess we'll see. That feels like a stretch.
0: Oh, it hurts that I can't go to that one. I was at the one last year where, that uh, ended with a buzzer beater, and uh, uh, you know, being told might- after I cheered for that buzzer beater by some by by some very respectable <laughs> man in front of me to have a little class as the place silently emptied
1: <laughs> out. Oh, I remember when you told me that I could because talked about on the street out uh, of Central Casting, right? Like you could not write a more Michigan fan moment than that. Um, well, to which I should have responded to him in kind with the with the Michigan cheer down in front. Um, and then after that, Valentine's Day, you've got the Michigan at Wisconsin rematch. Again, Wolverines roughed up the Badgers the first time they played. We'll see what they look like coming off a way off if they're able to get back by then, because if not, they're missing a few of the tougher games in their schedule by being off. So plenty of Big Ten basketball left here to go, even though I'd find, I'm And again, I, I acknowledge my own team's struggles have a lot to do with this, but even outside of that context I'm having a really difficult time generating my usual level of interest but we're coming down the stretch here there is good basketball to be played we hope that you all will enjoy this episode and continue partaking in the sports so we can get some kind of reprieve from you know all of this as I gesture broadly yeah because if Michigan
0: can you know get their situation under control and uh, play and lose a couple of games then we're going to have a six-way battle for the conference title yeah So uh, I don't know. I mean, 2021 has been marked by some 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 really preposterous things, both good and bad already. So I don't know. Let's just uh, let's just go to uh, let's just go to Wacky Town here. Your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle empire.